following sermon, entitled Praying for the Coming of the Kingdom of Heaven, was preached on the morning of May 8, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open the sacred scriptures to John 17. John chapter 17. We will read the whole of the chapter and we do so in connection with the Heidelberg Catechism and its instruction in Lord's Day 48. John 17, this is the inspired and infallible Word of our God. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal. That they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest Me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou Me with Thine own self with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest Me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them Me. And they have kept Thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given Me are of Thee. For I have given unto them the words which Thou gavest Me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from Thee. And they have believed that Thou didst send Me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given Me, for they are Thine. And all Mine are Thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I have, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but 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 that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. As Thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify Myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word that they all may be one as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, 
that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. And the glory which Thou gavest Me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and Thou in Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me and hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me. For Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee, and these have known that Thou hast sent Me. And I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith Thou hast loved Me may be in them and I in them. As far we read God's Word, it's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 48. Lord's Day 48. Which is the second petition? Thy kingdom come. That is, rule us so by Thy Word and Spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee, preserve and increase Thy church, destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against Thee, and also all wicked counsels devised against Thy holy Word till the full perfection of Thy kingdom take place wherein Thou shalt be all in all. Like many other things, prayer is something that is caught as much as it is taught. That is, there are certain skills and practices that are a part of our everyday life that are best learned by way of example. Certainly someone could tell us how to do it, but it's better to watch someone else and catch on as to how to perform that task rather than simply being given a list of instructions. Some things are better caught than they are taught. And in many ways, that holds true of prayer. Certainly, it's good to receive instruction regarding prayer and how to pray. But one of the main ways we learn to pray is by listening to others pray. And it's with that in mind that we go to the Scriptures looking for examples of prayer. Certainly, God's Word contains rich instruction for us, teaching us how to formulate our prayers. But one of the most helpful things is the fact that Scripture is full of different examples of the saints offering their own prayers unto God. Really, we have the book of Psalms, which is an entire book made up of songs, which is to say an entire book made up of prayers unto God that we can use as an example as we learn to pray. But now of all the different examples found in God's Word whereby we might learn 
to pray ourselves one very important set of prayers are the prayers of Jesus Christ. Scripture records a number of His prayers and it's those prayers that we have been and will continue to focus on as we make our way through this section of the Heidelberg Catechism which provides instruction concerning prayer. And if we're going to look at the various prayers of Jesus Christ as we go through Lord's Days 45-52, through at least one time we have to come to this passage of Scripture. John 17. Because John 17 contains perhaps the most well-known and perhaps the most beautiful of all of Christ's prayers, His high priestly prayer that He prayed shortly before His arrest, trial, and ultimately His crucifixion. We look at John 17 in this prayer in connection with the second petition, Thy kingdom come. And we do so admitting, acknowledging that on the surface, John 17 is not a prayer about the kingdom. There are perhaps other prayers that are more suited for instruction concerning the kingdom, but that's only looking at this prayer on the surface. Because if we dig down just a little bit, we do see that though the kingdom is not on the foreground here, though it's not explicitly mentioned, nevertheless, many of the truths that relate to Christ's kingdom are found here in this prayer, in this passage, John 17. That becomes clear when we look at the Heidelberg Catechism and how it explains this second petition and what it's all in, what's all included in it. And the structure of Lord's Day 48 is that when we pray Thy kingdom come, we're praying that that kingdom would come in three different senses and three different respects. That it would come first in our own hearts, second in the church, and third in the end of all things when Christ comes again. And when we break it down into those three aspects, we see many parallels in John chapter 17. So it's with that in mind that we consider this petition drawing from John 17 under the theme praying for the coming of the Kingdom of Heaven. Praying for the coming of the Kingdom of Heaven. And the sermon will follow the structure of the catechism and that will look first at the coming of this Kingdom in our hearts, second in the church, and then third in the end. I believe everyone would agree that it is a privilege and an honor to belong to something great. It's true of people, no doubt, who have belonged to some sports dynasty that wins multiple championships in a short period of time. It's true for people who belong to some world-renowned group of men musicians or an orchestra. It's true if you belong to a group of scientists who make this grand breakthrough, who discover something new. More to the point, it's a privilege and an honor to belong to a great nation. It's been true for many years for those of us who live in America. There's a certain patriotism, a certain national pride that's accentuated in times of war or perhaps when the Olympics are going on. There's a, a national pride. 
And that same thing was true back in Christ's own day for those who belonged to the, the empire of Rome. If you were a citizen of the Roman Empire, the, the greatness of Rome was everything for you. And it was a, a privilege and honor to be a part of this great world of power. Well, how much more should that not be true if we belong to something far greater than anything that we've just mentioned? Something far more transcendent than a sports team or a a musical group or a group of scientists or some earthly nation. Because the reality is that we do. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. And it's that kingdom that we have in view when we pray in the second petition, Thy kingdom come. And that becomes clear when we simply look at the New Testament as a whole. Especially the book of Matthew. And we ask, what kingdom is He talking about? Well, all throughout the book of Matthew and all of the Gospel accounts, we see this repeated reference to the kingdom of heaven. And it's a kingdom of heaven because... Well, it's not a kingdom of this earth. It's not a physical kingdom. It's not a kingdom of mere men. But this is a, a heavenly kingdom. That is, it's heavenly in its character and its, in its origin. This is a, a spiritual kingdom. And that kingdom is ultimately the lordship of Christ over His own people. The kingdom is His rule in the hearts and lives of His own. It's important to establish that because when we think of a kingdom, we usually think of the territory, the the realm that makes up that kingdom. Whereas in Scripture, when we read of the kingdom of heaven, the emphasis is on the rule, the lordship, the dominion of Jesus Christ. refers to His rule of grace in the hearts and lives of His people. And we say that in light of Scripture itself. For the very word kingdom that's found throughout the New Testament does in fact emphasize rule over against territory. But even more than that, we have the instruction of Christ Himself in passages such as Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. There Christ taught us, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, Christ is teaching us the kingdom is not something you can observe. It's not something you can point to and say, look, there it is, right there. But instead, it's found within us. That is, found within our hearts. It's Christ's rule, His Lordship over our lives. Christ establishes that rule, that Lordship, on the basis of His saving work on the basis of His death and His resurrection. That's something that comes out especially in the passage we read last week in connection with the first petition in John chapter 12. In John 12, verse 32, for example, He says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, referring to His death on the cross, will draw all men unto Me. That is, He will draw His own elect people unto Him by the power of His saving death. Same thing in verse 24 concerning His death. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. 
But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Christ is talking about Himself and saying, unless I die and am buried into the ground, I'll be alone, He says, as it were. But knowing that He would die, it's by that death that His death would bring much forth much fruit. He would draw many unto Himself. And what this is teaching us is that Christ establishes His kingdom on the basis of His saving death and resurrection. Same holds true concerning His ascension and His sitting down at God's right hand. When He ascended into heaven, He was returning to His former glory as a conquering king. It was as though He was riding back into the city on a a great steed, riding back to pomp and rejoicing because He had conquered His spiritual enemies. He had won the decisive victory for the kingdom. And when He sat down at God's right hand, it was His coronation as King. He was being crowned as ruler over everything. And it's from heaven that Christ now rules over His kingdom. Yes, He rules over everything. Over over every part of this earth, even the wicked. But in a special way, in a unique way, He rules in our hearts and lives by His Word and Spirit. That's the kingdom of heaven. And what a privilege it is. What an honor it is to belong to that kingdom. For He has indeed made us His citizens. It's a part of His saving work. That's a way to look at His saving work. Even as that saving work is mentioned here in John chapter 17. For example, in verses 2 and 6, we read, "...as Thou hast given..." Him, that is the Son, power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given to Him. His saving work is that He he gives life to God's elect people. Verse 6, I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest Me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them Me, and they have kept Thy Word. Christ is talking about His saving work. And though it's not put in kingdom terms here. It is put in kingdom terms elsewhere. It's put in kingdom terms, for example, in John chapter 3 when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 6, verse 5 rather, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And what John 3 is teaching us is that it's at regeneration that Christ establishes His rule in our hearts and in our lives. Previously, all there was was our sinful nature. It was the old man that had dominion over our lives. Satan ruled in our hearts and lives. But at regeneration, Christ overthrows that rule. He puts down the old man, and He puts in His place the new man on the the throne in our hearts. He inaugurates His own rule in our hearts and lives. It's a part of His saving work. makes us citizens of the kingdom and gives to us all the blessings, all the privileges that go along with that. And this is indeed a privilege. 
Child of God, you belong to something far greater than some sports dynasty or a world-famous group of musicians or a, a famous team of scientists. You belong to the Kingdom of Heaven. And what a Kingdom this is. This is not a Kingdom that's confined to a certain area, but it's a Kingdom that's made up of God's people from every nation, tribe, and tongue from throughout the whole world. This is not a Kingdom that rises up to power and has its power for a time, but then declines as a, another world power rises up after them. But this is an, an eternal kingdom. A kingdom whose power and glory never fades. It never diminishes in any way. And while other kingdoms can boast of great wealth and riches, Solomon certainly could in the kingdom of Israel, so prosperous were they that silver was accounted for nothing, but in comparison even to that, the riches of this heavenly kingdom are far greater. They can't even be compared to any earthly riches because we're talking about the spiritual riches of the blessings of salvation. That makes this kingdom a great kingdom. And all of that emphasizes the greatness of the kingdom without yet coming to the, the main point of what makes the kingdom so great, namely the king. What makes the kingdom of heaven great is Jesus Christ Himself. The one who is the Lord of this kingdom. There's no king like Him in all the earth. For there's no one else who is both truly God and truly man at the same time. Two natures in one divine person. There's no king who is willing to be humbled in the way that He was humbled to die for His people in order that they might have life. He truly is King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you count it a privilege and honor to belong to this kingdom that we've been describing? It's so crucially important that we do view it that way. Because it's only when we view it this way that we will ever pray from the heart out of true faith, Thy kingdom come. Because that is indeed our prayer. And when we pray that prayer, Thy kingdom come, we are praying first that that kingdom would come in our own hearts and lives. That's the viewpoint of the catechism. When it explains the second petition, notice where it begins. Thy kingdom come, that is, rule us by Thy Word and Spirit, that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee. Set up Thy rule in our own hearts. Rule in us more and more. And the catechism is clearly 
drawing from Scripture itself when it has this emphasis because as we already read, Christ taught us that the kingdom is within us. And this is indeed, and the catechism here is representative of the Reformed tradition. Whether you read Calvin, whether you read Luther or the other Reformers, you will find again and again and again when they come to explaining the second petition, the emphasis, the focus is on the coming of Christ's kingdom in our hearts. So that's what we pray for. Now what exactly does that mean? What more specifically are we praying for? Well, we are not praying that God would set up His kingdom in our hearts for the first time. We're not praying for the inauguration of His kingdom in our hearts and lives because as we have seen, that has already happened. That happened at regeneration. And apart from regeneration, this is not something we would ever desire. We would never pray in and of ourselves asking God to give us new life, to bring us into the kingdom. So that's not what we're praying for. Instead, we're praying that the kingdom would come in all of its fullness and in all of its completeness. The language of the catechism is instructive when it says that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee. That's the idea. Let Thy kingdom come more and more. Rule in our hearts by Thy Word and Spirit. More and more. Let Thy kingdom come in all of its fullness, in all of its completeness. Because You've established it. You've set it up in my heart. And now I want it to dominate my heart and my life. And we pray this exactly because we still have that enemy within. It's true that at regeneration, Christ takes the old man off the throne in our hearts, overthrows him, and gives to us the new man. But He does not entirely rid us of that old man. He's still in our hearts and lives. He still has an influence. He still holds a level of sway. And that old man is at war against Christ. He wants nothing more than to overthrow the new man to get back onto the throne in our hearts. And what is more, on account of that old man of sin still being within us, there are all manner of sinful desires that now arise out of that old man of sin. And all of those desires are like so many squadrons of enemies that are opposed to the kingdom of heaven and the rule of Jesus Christ. And it's in light of the presence of that old man of sin that we thus pray, let Thy kingdom come. Rule in me more and more that has helped me to put down, help me to mortify, to put to death that old man of sin. Deliver me from my own sinfulness. Help me to keep that old man of sin at bay so that rather than being led astray by the lusts of the flesh, I instead serve Thee as a good citizen and as a good soldier in Thy kingdom, O Lord. That's our prayer. To put it in different terms, perhaps simpler terms, when we pray, let Thy kingdom come in our own hearts, we're praying that God would help us to be more 
spiritual minded, more focused on heaven. And we say that in light of Scripture. For example, in Matthew 6, verse 33, Christ tells us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what we're praying. Work it in my heart that I do seek first the kingdom. Another passage is Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above and not on the things on the earth. That's our prayer. We're praying, let Thy kingdom come. That is, help me to live according to this Word. And this is our prayer exactly because we recognize our tendency to be so earthly minded. To focus on the things here below. To focus on the sports dynasties and the the music groups and the scientists or on the greatness of some earthly kingdom, the greatness of this physical nation that we are a part of. That's our tendency. That's our temptation. And it's in light of that temptation that we make this prayer our own. Father, work in me by Thy Spirit. Rule me by Thy Word so that my focus, my priority in life is not anything in this life, anything here below, but the Kingdom of Heaven. Let that be first and foremost in my life. And as for this world, as for this physical earth, help me to remember I'm a a pilgrim. I'm a stranger living in a, a foreign land. My home is in heaven with Thee. That's our prayer. And we pray this exactly because of the privilege and the honor of belonging to this Kingdom of Heaven. Because you see, the significance of belonging to this Kingdom is more than simply being taken from one Kingdom, the Kingdom of darkness, the Kingdom of Satan, and being translated into another Kingdom That's true, but that's only the surface. What lies just beneath that is the reality is that in being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven, we've been brought from death to life. Because as those who were a part of this kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, that means we were rebels. That means we were the enemies of God. That we stood opposed to God. That there was enmity between God and us. And exactly because we stood opposed to Him as rebels shaking our fists at Him, we deserved death. That was the punishment we had coming to us. But the saving work of Christ has taken us out of that fallen kingdom and brought us into the Kingdom of Heaven and thereby given us life. Because in order to take us from the one Kingdom into the other, we first had to be reconciled to our God. Our sins were wiped away. And we were given the righteousness of Christ so that 
we who were the enemies of God now are at peace with God. He is our heavenly Father and friend and we now have all the blessings of salvation including the right to everlasting life. And it's when we recognize the privilege of this that we will want to pray, let Thy kingdom come in my own heart and in my own life. Because this truly is what is most important. Not anything in this life. But instead, the kingdom of heaven. It's out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for our citizenship in this kingdom that we pray, Thy kingdom come. Now we pray this prayer not only with respect to ourselves. That is, this prayer is broader than asking God to rule in us more and more by His Word and Spirit that is in our hearts because in this prayer we're also praying that the Kingdom would come in the church. In the church. And that's what we want to look at secondly. We pray for the church because there is a connection between the Kingdom and the church. And that comes out in the Catechism when it explains Thy Kingdom come. We've explained the first part that is rule us so by Thy Word and Spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee. That is, let Thy Kingdom come in our hearts. But then it adds in the second place, preserve and increase Thy church. You might expect it to say Thy Kingdom, but it does not say Kingdom. It says preserve and increase Thy church. And the reason for that is because the church is the visible manifestation and embodiment of the kingdom. The kingdom itself is a spiritual entity. You cannot see it. You cannot point to it and say, look, there it is. The kingdom itself does not have some outward face. But nevertheless, there is a connection between the kingdom and the church because when God makes us citizens of the kingdom of heaven, at the very same time, He is making us members of His own body. That is, members of the church of Jesus Christ so that all those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven are at the very same time members of the elect body of Christ. That is, the invisible church. And because that's true, that means the kingdom is going to come to manifestation in the visible church. Because God, when He sets up His rule in our hearts, does so in such a way that He gathers us into His church. So that there is this connection that we are describing. And that means when we pray for the kingdom, we pray for the church. And there are two things in particular that the Catechism teaches us to pray for the church. Catechism says, preserve and increase thy church. First, our prayer for the church, that is our prayer for the kingdom, is that God would preserve it. Preserve it from all the attacks that come upon it from her spiritual enemies. That's what the Catechism goes on to speak of. It emphasizes the 
the attacks of the devil. It says, destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee. And also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word. Preserve thy church from her spiritual enemies. And one of those enemies is the wicked world in which we live. That's something that stands out in the passage of Scripture that we read this morning, namely John 17. For example, in John 17, verses 14 and 15, we read this, I have given them Thy Word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray that Thou shouldst take them. I pray not that Thou shouldst take them out of the world, but Thou thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Christ speaks of the world. And it's very clear when He speaks of the world hating His people and hating Him that He has in view the the wicked world that is the world from the viewpoint of the seed of the serpent. The world as it stands opposed to Christ and to the church of Christ. And now Christ's prayer is not that God would take us out of this world, remove us from it, but His prayer is that we would be kept from the evil, that we would be preserved. It's His prayer as it's mentioned in verse 11, for example, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to Thee, Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me. And then again in verse 15, but that Thou shouldst keep them from the evil. And that's our prayer this morning. Let Thy kingdom come. That is, preserve us from the wicked influence of the world around us. Because the world does indeed have a negative impact and influence on the church. It's clear from such passages of Scripture as 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Or to put it in slightly more modern English, bad company corrupts good morals. Evil company ruins good habits. That is, when we surround ourselves by those who hate God and hate the church, that's going to have a corrupting influence on us. It's going to have a a ruinous effect upon the church. And we see that all throughout biblical history. We see that when Israel comes out of the land of Egypt, when they're making their way to the land of Canaan and how when Balaam could not curse the people of Israel, he did the next best thing he could. He told them, you send your women down there and you tempt them. And it worked. Because we read in that history that the the people of Israelites were going after other gods. They learned that from the, the wicked influence of the world around them. And we see that same thing all throughout the book of Judges. Again and again, the people of Israel fell into sin because they learned from the bad example of the the wicked nations around them. This was the same thing that 
was true in Solomon's life. Solomon married these heathen women and we read that they turned Solomon's heart away from God and to these idols. And all of these examples testify to the truth that evil communication corrupts good manners. Bad company destroys good morals. And thus we pray. Thy kingdom come. That is, preserve Thy church from the influence of the wicked world around her. Give her the grace to live an antithetical life. Give her the courage to live a radically different life, even if it means standing out, even if it means losing earthly acquaintances or so-called friends for the sake of the Kingdom of Heaven. And we make that prayer exactly because we recognize what it took to make us citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven. What is it that sets us apart? It's not anything found in who we are. It's nothing you or I have done that have made us to differ so that we went from the one kingdom to the other. What sets us apart is the blood of Christ. He made the difference. He has made us citizens of His kingdom. And how foolish therefore for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven to go and to make friendship with the wicked world that Christ describes in the book of John. What ingratitude if the citizens of the kingdom of heaven align themselves with those who are opposed to God and to the kingdom of Christ. It's preposterous when you think about it. For the citizens of the kingdom of heaven to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, to stand in the way of sinners, to sit in the seat of the scornful. And thus we pray, let Thy kingdom come, that is, preserve Thy church from her enemies and from the influence of the world around her. But we pray not only for the preservation of the church, we pray secondly for the increase of the church. The catechism says, preserve and increase Thy church. Increase that church. That is, let more and more be added to the church. That's our prayer in light of Christ's own instruction. In light of His own prayer that He prays in John 17, verse 20, for example, we read, neither pray I for these alone, that is, those who are with Him, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their Word. Christ is talking about 
others who are going to be brought to faith. He's praying that they would be brought to faith by the ministry of the apostles and their work in the spread of the Gospel. This reminds us of the, the commission that Christ gives to His church. Before He ascended up into heaven, he, he told His disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Christ gave the church a, a commission to spread the Gospel, to tell others the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's in that light that we understand the language of this prayer when Jesus speaks of us being sent into the world. John 17, verse 18, As Thou hast sent Me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. That is, into the world as messengers of the King of Heaven. This then reminds us of the importance of witnessing evangelism and mission work. Yes, the church grows internally as God's people are given children and those children grow up to confess Jesus Christ as their own Savior. That's a part of how the church increases. And that reminds us of the importance of instructing our children as parents. It reminds us of the value of our good Christian school, which we can think of not only as a a covenantal school, but as a, a kingdom school. That school serves the increase of the kingdom. But now along with that internal growth, there's also external growth. And the whole New Testament makes very clear that that's a part of what God has in view for how His church will increase. How how others will be be brought into the the kingdom of heaven. Made citizens of that kingdom. That is a good reminder for us, especially at this time in our history as a congregation and as a denomination. We have just gone through a very difficult and painful controversy. And one of the effects that that has is that it makes us look inward. And there's nothing wrong with that inward focus during the controversy. We are naturally and rightly going to become focused on what's taking place within. But it's also important to look without. To remember the commission that Christ gives to His church. To teach others about the Kingdom of Heaven. That's a good reminder for us as a congregation. Perhaps the younger generation does not even know that this congregation, at least historically, has been a a mission-minded church. Children, did you know we used to have our own missionary as a congregation? That we would send out with a view to bringing others to faith in Christ? It's good that we maintain that type of thinking. That we pray that God would use this congregation and that He would use this denomination for the increase of His church. That He would bless our labors.
Because when we make this petition, implied is that we are being diligent, that we're active in that work. It makes no sense to pray, Father, increase Thy church, but then to be idle, to sit back and expect that it's just going to happen by itself. But instead, as a church, out of faithfulness to the commission that Christ our King gave to us, we engage in witnessing and in evangelism and in missions, all the while praying, God bless these weak and humble labors. Because it's not our labors that are going to bring the people in. All our labors are in vain unless Thou dost bless them. Father, let Thy kingdom come. That is, use us as a people for the increase of the church. And again, we pray that exactly because we recognize the privilege and the honor of being citizens of this kingdom. When that's our viewpoint, we will want others to come under the banner of our Savior Jesus Christ. We will want others to know Him even as we know Him. Because there is no king like Him. There's no other king who could honestly say, I came not to be served by others, but to serve. To give my life as a ransom for many. To lay down my life so that my people might live through my death. There's no other king who was cursed so that his people could be blessed. There's no other king who was condemned so that his people could be justified. There's no other king who died so that his people might live. And it's because we love our king. It's because we're devoted to our king that we want others to see His greatness. We tell others about Christ so that they can come to know this King. Not just as a mighty ruler, but as their Savior who died for them. That's what spurs us on. That's what leads us to pray, let Thy kingdom come that is increase Thy church. That's our prayer for the church. Let thy kingdom come, that is, preserve and increase thy church. And those two do belong together. It may seem that the two are at odds with each other. How can I pray, preserve thy church from the wicked influences of the world, and at the same time be praying, use the church to call people out of darkness and into God's marvelous light? The one has me being in the world, but not of the world. Stay away from it, seems to be the message. Whereas the other is saying, we're sent into the world to spread the good news of the Gospel. How do these come together? Well, to answer that question, there are three things that need, we need to bear in mind concerning this tension between these two aspects of the calling of the church. First, that separation from the world is a spiritual, not a physical separation. 
It's true, we are sent into the world. We are to live in this world, but not be of the world. That is, we're not to be like the world. We're not to make friendship with the world. But we still have to live in it. Christ does not take His church and bring it out of the world. He says that Himself. My prayer is not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, because if we were out of the world, we could never tell others about Christ. Instead, so the point being, the separation here of the antithesis is a spiritual separation, not a physical separation. Second, we have to bear in mind the the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not to Christianize the world. The mission of the church is not to fix all of the world's problems, to solve, to end poverty, or to take care of social justice. The mission of a church is not to influence the world in such a way that there's now this Christian veneer to everything. But the mission of the church is to spread the good news of the Gospel. To preach Jesus Christ. And when that's our focus... That will help us to be going into the world without being of the world. And third, it's important to remember that this all begins with the Kingdom of Heaven being first in our own hearts and lives. There's a reason the Catechism starts where it does. Let the kingdom come in my own heart and life. Let this be first for me. My focus, my priority. Because when it's not, then all of a sudden that word about being sent into the world becomes an excuse to sort of cozy up to the world, to to be warm and friendly with the world, to focus on relationships. Christ sent me into the world after all. The reality is that the world is simply pulling us further and further and further away from our Savior. But when the Kingdom of Heaven is first and foremost in my own heart and life, then I can go into the world without being of the world. I'll be on guard recognizing there are so many dangers here. Recognizing that my old man of sin is drawn to live like the world and I need to be careful. And because I love my King, because I am devoted to His Kingdom, I want others to be brought in. Not me going out, but others being made citizens of this same Kingdom. So we pray, let Thy Kingdom come in our hearts. Let Thy Kingdom come in the church. And third and finally, let Thy Kingdom come in the end. That as we are praying for the fullness and the completeness of Christ's Kingdom, this petition we're praying that Christ would come again. And that's what the Catechism is alluding to at the very end when it says in the last two lines or so, till the full perfection of Thy Kingdom take place, wherein Thou shalt be all in all. That's what we're praying for. That Christ would come back down from His throne in heaven and that He would come and finally destroy all of His enemies. Not just win the decisive victory, but ultimately bring about their 
final end and destruction and that He would gather all of His citizens, all of His elect people to Himself to live with Him in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. And not in the sense of us being down below and Christ being in His ivory tower, but Christ living in and among His people with His citizens whom He loves. That's our prayer. And again, we pray this out of love for the King. Yes, a part of it is we look forward to heaven. We rightly look forward to heaven. We want to be in that place where there is no more battle against sin. Where there's no more sickness, no more pain. We want to enjoy the blessings of heaven. But our ultimate desire for heaven, for the coming of the kingdom, is that Christ would be all in all. Our desire for Christ to come is because we want every knee to bow. We want every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We want the fullness of His exaltation and of His glory exactly because He is such a glorious King. That's our prayer. And we can pray this prayer with confidence. We can be absolutely sure that this kingdom will come because Christ Himself is praying for this, you know. That's what He's doing in John 17. This whole time we've been looking at John 17 from the perspective of listening in on Jesus' prayer so that we can grab bits and pieces of it and make those petitions our own prayers, and that's entirely appropriate. But let's not, let's not miss the main point. This is Christ's prayer. A prayer He makes perfectly on the basis of His own saving work. He's the one praying for our sanctification as He does in verse 17. Sanctify them through Thy church. He's the one praying that we'd be kept from evil. He's the one praying that others would be brought to faith. And He's the one praying for the full realization of this kingdom and that we are brought to Him. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me. For Thou hast loved Me before the foundation of the world. Christ prays. Thy kingdom come. And because Christ prays that prayer, God will surely answer. That is our confidence. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for making us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we pray that Thy kingdom would come more and more in our hearts, in the church, 
And at the end, through the coming of Christ, we pray this with confidence that Thou wilt hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.